0: You're listening to the NFL on TuneIn. It's No Huddle with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart.
1: Pleased to be joined by Brian Billick of NFL Network, who coached Cordell on the Ravens. Coach, thanks for taking the time. How are you?
0: I'm doing great today, guys.
2: Coach, it's good to hear from you. Always good to hear from you. There's a lot of quarterback uh, things taking place in the National Football League right now, but one I want to talk about is the Cleveland Browns. You have a Deshaun Kaiser as well as a Brock Osweiler. How would you gauge uh, that situation by Hugh Jackson and how he's trying to deal with it?
0: Well, that's always a tough one because you have a veteran that you would expect to be ahead of the curve and is naturally going to look better on a more consistent basis. Uh, and the rookie is, you know, you know full well, uh, Cornell. It's, you know, it's it's a constant learning process. It looks pretty big right now, but there's no dis- denying the talents uh, uh, of Deshaun Kaiser, uh, Brock Osweiler. At least appears to be just kind of that second level at best backup type quarterback. Uh, Hugh Jackson, obviously, they got to win some games after going one and fifteen last year, but they've got to take a little bit of longer view. So that's going to be the dilemma: do I go with it? Do I? And and we don't know how he really evaluates the two. If you really think Brock Osweiler can be your guy, by all means, you make him your guy. But if you think he's going to be a placeholder for uh, Deshaun Kaiser to eventually come in, I, I. I would opt to just put him in right now. You're going to be better, quicker in the long run, if that makes sense, to go with the young player if you think he's going to be the guy.
1: Ryan, how about tonight's game between the Jaguars and the Panthers? Two years ago, Blake Bortles had 35 touchdown passes. What has happened to him since then? Chad Henney gets the start tonight.
0: Yeah, well, there's a lot of interceptions that went with that as well. Uh, and, and obviously, uh, Doug Marone is, is looking at, he, he, was, he lived through that as well. So this isn't like a new coach coming in and saying, okay, I'm going to try to make this evaluation. He lived through it last year uh, and saw what it was. So if there's, and, and the fact that they really didn't want to uh, extend themselves uh, financially and contractually kind of told you a little something. Obviously, Tom Coughlin is the other, other set of eyes there. Um, you know, if you don't think he's the guy, I understand that. But I don't. If not, I'm not sure you have your quarterback in the future on campus, and that's going to be the challenge for Jacksonville.
2: How, cons- how concerned would you be if you were the head coach for the Indianapolis Colts, seeing that your quarterback Andrew Luck hadn't taken a live snap yet uh, with the team?
0: Yeah, we have a couple of those, don't we? I do the preseason games for the Baltimore Ravens, and Joe Flacco's in the same right. category in terms of him not going to take a snap until. The regular season, it's got to be a concern. And Cordell, you know this. I always just say, you know, if we didn't have to practice, we wouldn't. Right. Because anytime you got you put a guy on a field, you run the risk of injury. Uh, but there's just a certain pacing of the game. You got to get in cardiovascular shape. You then have to get in football shape using those muscle groups to, to, that are unique to the game. And then you got to get in hitting shape. Now, not necessarily for a quarterback, but you got to get used to getting hit. And to go into uh, the regular season, and we don't know what the long-term prognosis is on either one. They're going to take the longer view, there's no question. Both sound optimistic, but until those guys step under center, uh, you know, as a head coach, you've got to be concerned.
1: Brian Billick, NFL Network, is our guest on the NFL on in. Cam Newton coming back from his shoulder injury tonight. Coach, how much will having a versatile player like Christian McCaffrey help to take some of the pressure off Cam, who won the MVP award just a couple years ago?
0: Huge, huge. And I think we've already seen some impact of Christian McCaffrey and what he can do. Uh, So you add what I think it will do more than anything else, and and we used to call them XOs, meaning extended handoffs. In their running game, and they always want to run the ball well, they've got to take a little of that off Cam Newton. So develop more of a system where you can take those little drop-offs to a Christian McCaffrey. And he's becoming like the vote backs in the league. Uh, Again, I'm doing the Ravens game. They're counting on Danny Woodhead to do the same thing. Um, obviously, uh, on Bell in Pittsburgh, who obviously takes it to a whole nother level, the two backs down in Atlanta. That's kind of a vote thing. The guys that can come out of the backfield, give you those extra yards after the catch with the little checkdowns, the flares, legitimate route runner, and he is that out of the backfield. Gives them a lot more latitude beyond just the sheer productivity of it. Hopefully, you can take some of the, the runs off of Cam Newton's plate so he doesn't get exposed to those hits.
2: The Rams, uh, some are saying that Jared Goff needs a, a coach that, that's hard on him in a sense, someone that's a little bit older as, a, as opposed to Sean McVay, who's young, and, and some may say he's probably coloring, uh, let's just say, Jared Goff. I don't think so because I think in order for it to mesh, especially with the new quarterback, uh, coming out of the draft uh, you may need someone that can relate to his style to his temperament to an extent uh, how do you see that relationship happening between he and Jared Goff? because right now Jared Goff is playing better football now than we've seen him play in an entire season last year
0: yeah it's always a unique dynamic, as you know very well cordell there's the dynamic between the quarterback and and the offensive coordinator slash play caller. then there's a different dynamic with the head coach but when your head coach is that play caller that, that adds another level to it. And so as, as an offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, and, and particularly a young one, you're going you're gonna to have that kind of relationship. Uh, you're going to have that, that kind of brotherhood of, of look, we're, we're in this together and, and we can relate to one another because we're more close to each other in age. But then you also have to be that head coach. And, and you have to be that guy to be able to put his hand to the fire because sometimes you, know, you need that head coach to say, hey, look, this is the way it is and that baptism under fire. So that's a, that's a very fine line to walk for Sean McVay. I'm sure he'll do a good job in terms of making sure that he continues to nurture and, and have that relationship with Jared Goff. But at the same token, make sure Jared Goff will get it. You know, he'll, have, he'll understand that sometimes when he has to burr up as the head coach at the quarterback, you know, uh, Bill Belichick will, will burr up with Tom Brady occasionally. Uh, which which needs to happen because the rest of the team needs to see that because then they know there's accountability at all levels.
1: Taking you around the league with Brian Billick of NFL Network. Brian, we have the Dolphins and Eagles tonight. How smooth do you think the transition has been in Miami for Jay Cutler, considering he played well for Adam Gase in Chicago before Gase got the opportunity to become the head coach in Miami?
0: Yeah, I did that game. Uh, the Ravens played Miami. Uh, and It was kind of a one-sided affair that Raven defense is for real again. Uh, and the Miami offense. Now, Jake Culler came in. It was interesting. They went no huddle, which is really not a bad thing to do because it, it condenses the game plan. And rather than a bunch coming in your ear, Jake Culler, who's comfortable with the system, knows he can operate it the way he wanted to. I think that was part of his... Plus, obviously, you want to keep some of the rotation and the different uh, pressures that the Ravens can bring. You want to calm that down. So the first couple series, they moved the ball pretty well, made a couple nice throws. Eventually they bogged down either with penalties or uh, missed third down opportunities. Uh, Jay Cutler is a legitimate quarterback. We know that. He's very comfortable with Miami. They need to get that running game cranked up. Uh, The defense played okay. Uh, I don't know that even with Jay Cutler, though, they're in a position for anybody to say, okay, they're ready to challenge the New England Patriots.
2: Coach, when you talk about the – when you use the word parity, I would think it's probably at its highest levels when you look at some of these divisions. Uh, Look at the East right now in the NFC. Uh, I know Dallas, we want to anoint them right now, but we don't know what's going to happen in the backfield. So you have the Giants, uh, and then you have Philly, who we think may come around. If you go to the AFC West, uh, you look at teams like the Denver Broncos, Kansas City Chiefs, and Oakland Raiders. You go to the South, you can see that. Uh, You go to NFC North, you can see it. When you see that type of parity within the divisions – What does that say for the National Football League in the sense of how they're going about building their football teams?
0: Well, I I think it's what they want, obviously. There's very few leagues where you have the ability to get good quicker. You know, in the old days, when you were bad, you were bad for a long time. Right. Because it just took a while to get the personnel changed over. Now with free agency, with the drafting the way it is, you can get good quicker. When I look at a division, it's, it, you know they're going to be one or two good teams, and you can say there's parity there. To me, it's what's the, what's the difference between the top of the division and the bottom of the division. That's where you look at it and say it's, it's pretty equal. You look at the uh, NFC South. And, right. and we just talked about Cam Newton and his Carolina back. You can't ever count out Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints. Tampa Bay looks to be a really good football team, and I think they're going to be very solid. So across the board, from top to bottom in that division, um, this this can be pretty good. Atlanta, of course, at the top of it, you, you know, you've got to know that they're going to come out blazing. So um, you look at a division like that, it's not just the top two teams. Okay, who's going to challenge the top team? It's top to bottom. And You look across the board and you see that, and I think it's good. I think it's good for football. I mean, the AFC, it appears, most people seem to think it's New England versus the field, you know, in a Tiger Woods-esque type of, okay, uh, and, you know, we're going to take the field, and we'll see who can step up, whether it's a Pittsburgh that can step up or maybe well, one of these other teams in the AFC, you know, maybe uh, an Oakland or a Kansas City or, or who, who knows come up, can really challenge. We won't know until the playoffs. In the NFC, boy, I don't know. You, you put my hand on the fire and say, okay, tell me who you think is going to go and win the Super Bowl or at least go to the Super Bowl from the NFC. Boy, I don't know that I couldn't narrow it down to to, to five, six teams that I think have a real legitimate shot.
1: Ryan, last one for me. Cordell played in the Super Bowl, went to the Pro Bowl, but listening to him over the last year and a half doing this show, I think he's most proud of what he won. Special Team Player of the Week honors as the emergency punter playing for you with the Ravens. What do you remember about that game, Coach? Uh, the best
0: part was Kyle Richards go down. I'm looking around. And I go, oh, he's a good athlete. And so I go, Have you ever done? Yeah, okay, you're the punter. He says what? So he goes over. Here's the best part. We're in New York, right? And Cordell, you know where I'm going with this. We're in yeah. New York. You know how the New York fans are. So yeah, he goes over and they set up the kicking net. And he goes to punt in the kicking net and he misses it. <laughs> and the ball launches. And the fans are on him merciless. Oh, he turns and goes, Hey, I've never done this before. Give me a break. Well, at that point, they started cheering for him. We had all these jet fans right behind our bench. We're pulling for him. and he goes out. Oh, what was that? You nailed it like a seventy yarder at one point. Yes, I, I did rolled did. pretty good. Yeah, but it was still a seventy yarder. That was that's one of my favorite memories.
2: Oh, it was good. It was great. And what's funny is I remember it was. I think was it Anthony Wright that came and got my attention. He was like stew beef. He's like, you got to go in and punt. And I'm thinking, you know, it's Thanksgiving. And, you know, I'm a rookie. He's they telling me I have to go get turkeys yeah, right. or what have you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm sitting out just talking. And all of a sudden I see you. You're like, yeah, you're up. <laughs> Let's go. Was Let's go. Was like, was flicked, man. It was awesome. It was fun. It really was. That's
1: really why they was. call him Slash. It's all about versatility. <laughs> Brian, great information as always. Thanks so much for giving us a few minutes again today on the NFL on TuneIn.
0: Sounds great.